And welcome back to the Yes Longevity Podcast. We give you insight on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. Hi, my name is Chris Borda, best-selling author and owner of Yes Fitness. I appreciate you taking the time today to listen to what I have to say. We have a special guest today, someone that I've been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time now. And um, I'm just honored to have him actually on this podcast. He is my mentor. He's been guiding me through business now for seven or eight years and uh, he's just a super person, um, just a tremendous person. And uh, I really appreciate him taking the time to talk to me and take an hour out of his busy day. So his name is Alan Cosgrove. Alan Cosgrove is one of the top trainers in the world. He is a top fitness expert in the world. He speaks all over the world. He co-owns with his lovely wife, Rachel Cosgrove, one of the most successful training gyms in America. That would be Results Fitness in Santa Clarita, California. Results Fitness, at the time that this was written, it's probably been more than this, has twice been named one of the top 10 gyms in America by Men's Health and Women's Health magazines and one of the most successful fitness professional consulting companies in the world, Results Fitness University, which I'm a member of, again, for eight years. And Alan has guided me through some very difficult times. And without their help, I can honestly say I would not be sitting here speaking with you right now. Um, it's actually one of the best decisions I've ever made was to join Results Fitness University. Alan is a co-author of, of the New Rules for Lifting book series. He's a sought-after expert in several countries throughout the world. Um, he writes for leading publications like Men's Health. Um, he's a Nike consultant. He's uh, one of the top presenters for Perform Better. Perform Better is an equipment company, an education company in the fitness industry. They put on workshops and seminars all over the country all the time. Obviously not this year because of COVID, but he's one of their top presenters. If you get a spot in one of Alan's presenting one a seat in one of Alan's presentations, you are lucky. They are book solid. And if you want to find more about Alan Cosgrove, you can go to alancosgrove.com. Uh, you can find all, all kinds of information about him right on there. So, again, he is one of the top fitness nines in the world. We are so lucky to have him on board with me today. So, without further ado, let me get to that conversation with you. And, again, thank you for taking the time to listen. Have a great day. Okay, here we go. We drove with us today. Alan, thank you so much for coming on board. It is a great pleasure and honor to have you on my podcast. Thank you for having me on. This is a highlight of my career. Listen, it's a highlight of my career. I don't know if people really know and understand how big you really are. I think maybe with the intro, they'll understand that. And uh, you know what you're talking about. Very, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's just dive right into it. So I think there's some hot trends that, you know, I see in 2021, some buzzwords that are out there and some things that I see going on in the industry. So um, let's start off with recovery. I think recovery is one of the most understood and abused aspects of exercise. And it's so important. It's extremely important to get the desired results of the workout or program. So what I'd like to first talk about is recovery between exercises from what i find in, the, in what i hear talking to people at parties when we could go to parties and friends and things like that everybody's I'm, looking I'm, 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 parties. What, what's a party right what are friends 
Um, everybody's looking to just like reduce the rest between exercises, just go from exercise to exercise to exercise. And there are cases where that's what you should do, but there's a lot of cases why that isn't. So if you could give me an idea, give my audience idea, the idea of matching recovery with the specifics of the workout to get the kind of results that they're looking for from their program. So the, the big picture, first of all, Chris, is to step back and understand that you do not get better by training. You get better by recovering from training, right? Training is a, is a stimulus where if you actually look at what we do, we make, uh, in weight training, for example, to make it simple, if I was to look at this through a microscope, what we do is we destroy muscle tissue. That's what weight training does. It destroys muscle tissue. And then when we recover, there is a response. When we recover, we start to rebuild muscle because there's been a threat to the body and the body responds. So stimulus, then response, that the body responds by trying to build muscle. And we're looking for a long-term adaptation. So it's stimulus, response, adaptation. The adaptation being the we don't just try to break down muscle, rebuild it, break down, rebuild it. We're trying to build more over time, right? Especially when we're talking about longevity because from biologically, we're, lose, we're losing anyway, right? We're losing as we go. So what I see is people, we've got to define exercise. And I think there's a lot of people because of their cardiovascular training, they seek fatigue, they're looking to feel tired. They think that success is tiredness. That we're just trying to create a stimulus for a response. More tiredness does not mean a better response, right? I'm looking to manage fatigue. So the biggest thing I see is this kind of confusion that if I ran for 20 minutes, I'll get a response cardiovascularly. So let me try to do that with weight training and squat for 20 minutes. Well, nobody does exactly. that because that would be that would be dumb, right? That would be dumb. That'd be dumb. That'd be crazy. But, but they do that by doing squat and lunge and pull up and push up, and they do everything like that all together, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's one of the. But you're you're basically doing a, you're turning the strength stimulus into an aerobic stimulus. Like so, if you if you, I I pick the rest period based on I want you to to use as much weight as I can for the rep range I've given. If you don't need as much rest because you're in great cardiovascular shape, the weight is too light, right? So I will adjust that. Like you're gonna, you need the rest, Michael. And and on the reverse is if you need six minutes of rest before you can do another set, that's too much, right? But there's a sweet spot. But I do see a lot of people, uh, like they think a workout with 45 sets in an hour is superior to one with 30 sets in an hour. My question would that be superior for what? Superior for getting you leaner? No. Superior for getting you stronger? No. Superior for just saying you've done more than perhaps, right? But that's that's kind of how I, I like to think of it, you know? I always try to bring it back to what are you trying to accomplish? What's your goal? You know, why are we working out and where does this workout fit into the whole overall program? So if we talk about the rest periods that are necessary within that workout program. And we use, like you use, we use a lot of corrective exercises to make sure as we age, we're still moving correctly. The better we move, the more likely to get better results. We're less likely to injure ourselves and that type of stuff. So we put those corrective exercises in there on purpose to force a rest period. So we get the adaptations that we're actually yeah. looking for in our programs. I'm not looking for you to be sitting around doing nothing. 
But if right. if I program a weight for 10 reps, say in a, in a lunge or, a, or a, I'll do a squat for really easy. If I program a weight for 10 reps and you can do 15, the, the weight was too light. So we got to adjust yeah. that. If you could do a 10 second rest and do it again, then the weight was too light. So I'm not getting the response I was looking for by choosing this exercise in, in, in the first place, right? Like just don't, don't seek fatigue, right? That mm. doesn't mean it's a better workout any more than holding your breath and trying to run a mile is better cardio, right? It's just, it's, <laughs> right. Harder. it's not, it's not getting you, you any closer, but there's definitely a, um, I don't want to say it's an industry thing because it's not coming from the industry, but that uh, zero rest is a superior workout, and it, it's yeah. just not like it's. It, that's not how that's not how physiology works. It doesn't work like that. So we, we've touched on a couple of things right here, and I can go in a lot of directions with this. But you, uh, one point you just touched on right now was, if 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 we're doing ten reps and you can use a weight and do it 15 times, that weight's too light. And then vice versa, if we're trying to get you to get fatigued and you can't lift that many times or you want to get you fatigued to 10 reps and you can only do six, the weight was too heavy. But I, one area where we try to coach people on is that there needs to be a progressive overload. You can't start the workout with 20 pound dumbbells and four weeks later you'd be using 20 pound dumbbells. And they don't understand in the beginning we need to be a little bit lighter so that we can get that little deload phase in there for time period and work our way up. So can you talk to us a little bit about progressively overloading and the importance of that and getting the results that we're looking for specifically in a strength training program? So if I, if I can lift, uh, and I'll do something really easy for the audience, if I could do a bicep curl, a single joint exercise with 10 pounds for 10 reps, I can do that. Now I'm going to continue to do this exercise. What am I trying to have happen? If I'm trying to get this arm bigger or stronger or leaner, I'm going to have to ask that muscle, that single joint, to do more than it did before. Now, do more in an easy transition is I have to do either 11 reps or 11 pounds. I have to ask more of the, I have to create a bigger stimulus to create that response to get that adaptation. So if I can do 10 pounds for 10 reps, and a month from now I ask my body to do 10 pounds for 10 reps, the body will be like, yeah, we can do this. I don't need to change. I, I, right. The body seeks to stay the same. The phrase is called homeostasis. The body mm -hmm. doesn't want to change. We have to make it change. We have to encourage the change by overloading and overloading progressively. Like there's not a training program in the world where we don't progress. Now it's easy for me to explain it with load, but I could perhaps progress it by better technique, by a mm -hmm. pause right, by a, by a hole, by changing my position. So there's other ways of progressing. It's just not always adding weight. And I think it's important, it's interesting, I was talking to Josh Hankin about this ju just very recently, that we don't always just have to add more load because if that was the answer, then the leg press is the best exercise in the world, right? right. That, right. So there's other ways to progress. But similarly, we don't always have to become more complex. Perhaps we return and revisit the basics Perhaps to, I'm not sure if you're completely recovering. So let's have what we call a deload week, right? Which is usually a back off week where we don't do nothing, but we don't really hammer the body as much. So we cycle through our training. Progressive overload is a true concept, but when we start tying in biology and different things going on in your life, 
illness, busy times at work, things going on. It's not like I can start you with squats with the bar on week one. And I think I probably did that uh, 30 years ago. I have, probably, yeah. right. I, I haven't added a pound a week <laughs> to my squat <laughs> in that time, right? right. <laughs> that, would, that would be me adding 50 pounds a year and 29 more years of doing that. Like that's not a, exactly what happens. That's not, I'm not up to the, the 1,000 pound squat mark. So there's, there's limiting, there's, there's, there's a limit to some of this stuff, but the concept of progressive overload uh, is true. We have to ask more of the body over time to get it to change, right? But, but that it's training, you do not get better by training. You get better by recovering from training. Training plus recovery equals results. If I double the training and I don't double the recovery, I will not get more results, right? The, the equation has to work, right? And it's, it's why um, we train full body at Results Finish. You train full body at Yes, right? right. Um, and we train it more often. So mm -hmm. what happened in the, probably the, the 60s, 70s with bodybuilding, uh, and when, I'll be honest, when steroid use became prevalent, these guys would hammer a body part once a week. So it needed a week to recover, right? Like, but it was, it was kind of a backwards logic. Let me hammer it and build in more recovery. Well, why don't we not hammer it and hit it three times a week? So when you start looking at the research on that and the science with a drug-free person, frequency wins. Training something not to the death more often results in, in better results than just hammering stuff less often. Yeah, we go, we go into the gym and, you know, listen, I'm old enough to have been working out in the 70s. And you go in and we're doing four sets of bench with the bar and then four sets of incline bench with the dumbbells. And then we're doing a bunch of push-ups and we're trying to get on the fly machine. Next thing you know, it's an hour and a half later. We've done, I don't know, 20 sets, one body part, and we, we can't go f pick up our beer at the end of the workout. Uh, me, me and my, my friend, uh, my training partner back home, Terry, is we used to go to this, the, this gym on a Sunday evening, and there's a bunch of bodybuilders and powerlifters there, and these two young kids come in, and they, they were always helpful for us. But they'd be finishing up, and we'd be starting, and we're learning bench press. And they would show us things, and then they would teach us about incline bar or decline. Mm -hmm. Or, right. or doing it with dumbbells. And they just teach us things, but they never taught us you didn't have to do it all. So our program very quickly became, as you're saying, four sets of flat bar, incline bar, decline bar, four sets of, of dumbbell incline, flat and decline, four sets of incline flies, flat and decline, then dips, push-ups. And these guys had gone an hour ago, and now we're like on a lap pull-downs. So <laughs> next exercise. <laughs> But yeah, so, the, the phrase I like is in it, and this came from uh, it came from the bodybuilding world. We look at the stimulate, not annihilate, right? I like to chain uh, the body works as a unit. I like to chain the whole body more often than just a single body part less often. So that brings me to recovery between workouts, which is very important as well. You said we get in shape when we recover, not when we're working out, and I find people. You know, they get into the gym every day. They might be doing the same thing and they might be changing body parts, but they try to get to the gym every five, six days a week and just hammer away on their poor bodies. And I'm, I think I'm pretty fit. It's going to be 62 years old. 
there's no way that my body can do that. So I know for longevity, it's not the right thing to do, but just give us an idea about recovery between days and how that all fits into trying to get some results out of a program. So let, let's take it to, I like teaching this from, from analogies. Let's imagine you're doing a 5K race on Saturday morning and you want to have a good time. You want to you beat your son. You want to you want to establish a solid time, and your your goal that's your goal. Your goal is to do a, a good performance on that race. Would you a rest up, hydrate, and get ready to do that performance, or b do a ninety minute workout immediately before that? Right? Will you know that the ninety minute workout would negatively affect your performance? We get that. Would you do the 90-minute hard workout the night before? No. When would you do your last hard workout? So people are starting to get this idea, right? In order to have a good performance, I'm going to have to have recovery time. Yeah. When, when do we need that? Now, there's, there's definitely different energy systems and different muscles. They will recover at different times based on what you did, right? There's a, there's a heterosynchronicity of recovery as we go through this, in order to have a good performance in a race on a Saturday morning, we are going to have to be fully recovered and fueled to do that, right? I think everybody understands that. And my idea is every time we train, I want to have that good performance. I want to show up fresh and fueled. Like I'm, sounds like I'm slowing my words, fresh and fueled for the workout, right? I want to have a, I don't want to be depleted going into the workout and just deplete myself further. Right? right now you could do that for a little while but you're getting worse you've got to allow your body time to adapt and and get stronger so i think um if you're training more than three times a week on the same things at the same intensity you're doing yourself a disservice and you probably have different goals other than fitness uh if you're alternating like I think if you train six days, if you tell me how many days you want to train, if you said six days a week, I like every, everybody, my, my elite athletes that I work with, you got to have a full day off a week. Like that's the, the rules of, of working with me is it, it, we can't get better if you don't give me that downtime. But within that, we might go heavy Monday, Thursday, medium uh, Tuesday, Friday, and a light workout Friday, Saturday. Maybe a aerobic workout or a, a mobility session, then an off Sunday. So even within that, we're only going hard twice a week and we're going moderate twice a week. You will not outperform that model by going hard six days a week because yeah. it will feel hard. It will not be hard because you will be lifting less weights, right? It, it, it just, right. It, you, your effort isn't physiology, right? Yeah. Intensity is based on your ability, Chris, to perform at a, a number, a percentage of your absolute max, your max being 100%. An intense workout is you training high at that. An intense workout is not working at 60% for four hours. That's a low intensity workout. That's, That's a, low intensity. It, it's, That's it's just not. So remember, our goal of training is to stimulate something to get a response and a long-term adaptation. Anything that screws with that equation will not work. Let's turn our attention to a little bit away from strength training and more towards our cardiovascular system. So recovery is just as important in cardiovascular as it is in strength training. Um, I'm not sure people understand that doing a recovery workout and improving the aerobic capacity is going to help them with their, their repeats or their recovery during an interval type phase. But recently I heard you talking 
And you said that if you're not utilizing a heart rate monitor, um, that, that technology, then you might as well be lifting and not knowing how much weight is on the bar. Yeah. It's, so, I think right? at, at one point, when I, when I was in college, heart rate monitors were getting used for exercise science things. Kind of expensive. They weren't really accessible. Like, the, like it just was it's a high-end sports science tool. And now, I mean, I think you can get a decent uh, heart rate monitor for, I don't know, $50, right? 50 bucks. 50 like, bucks uh, you yeah. And it'll last you, to, I mean, let's just say it lasts you one year and then breaks and doesn't work. It's a dollar a week. That's, let's do it, right? Because now I can, like, I can look at, if I just said to you, hey, do some squats and bench, mm -hmm. right? your, your question is how much weight, how many reps, how many sets, your questions about how I'm going to prescribe this intensity, right? So if I said to you, I want you to do three sets of eight with 100 pounds with a 90 second rest period between them, and you do that, you're going to improve. If I say do some, maybe you do too much, maybe you do too little, but we're just, it's it, it pointless. But if I said, let's do a cardiovascular workout, well, we have to hit certain zones for certain durations. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, if I was training you for a 5K, Chris, I can tell you the heart rate zone where you are going to tie up and you're going to pay the price and get caught at the end. But if you go past this, you cannot hold it. They're going to catch you. So I know that you can run it. Let's say it's 84% for you. Yeah. My goal is to train you in that zone so you're as fast as you can there. Because when you go past that, you're going to start accumulating waste products. You're going to tie up and you're going to get beat, right? So it, not using like, not using a heart rate monitor, like I'm, I'm at the point now where I just should be mandatory if you're going to train with me. Right? You've got to measure your heart rate at some point. So at some point, you're going to stop your workout and count on your wrist or on your neck and know where you're at. Or you could just look at your watch or your app on your phone or the screen in the gym and you'll know, we'll know if we're being productive or not. It's not expensive. Right? Just, it's not. And it, it just holds you accountable. And you can really know and understand what you're, worried, what you're doing. The results of your workout. Working hard enough, getting enough rest. How does that all equate to improving our aerobic capacity and fat loss? So if we're, we're looking at anything to, to result in fat loss, right? so I'll, I'll use that as an example. What we're trying to do is what fat loss is, honestly, is your body cannibalizing its own tissue for fuel, <laughs> right? Like exactly. there's, a, there's a fuel shortage and your body's going to eat itself to make up for that. What we try to do in training is to make those pathways so that it chooses stored body fat, right? And it, it uh, preferentially chooses body fat over lean mass. Now, if I came to your house, Chris, and you've got two wallets lying on the table and I'm a criminal and I come in with a gun and I'm like, I'm gonna take one of these wallets. And in one wallet, you got 400 cash. And in the other wallet, you got 900. You want me to take the 400. Right. Right? You want to keep the 900. Well, that's the same with the body. A, a gram of protein is about four calories. A gram of fat is about nine calories. The body wants to give up the protein. That's why we have to weight train to tell the body it needs the protein. It doesn't need the fat so that it gives up the fat. Right. So when you start looking at the research, this, to be simple for the readers, Steady state work, just holding a position. If I looked at that again through the, a microscope, through a straw, 
I would look at that response as being something that burns a lot of fat. But when I come out and I add in that response and that adaptation, it doesn't seem to result in fat loss because it's as if the body responds by storing more fat because what you're asking it to do. It says, oh, you want to burn a lot of fat? All right, let me get you some more. This is what we need to be to do. This is what we'll do. Whereas if we do interval training, we create this metabolic disturbance where the body, the reason the heart and lungs are beating so hard is because the muscles are asking for the oxygen, right? right? And we get to that point, we have to recover for that to happen again. If we don't recover, we can't go as high, we won't go as low, and it just becomes a steady state aerobic system where we're sending a different signal to the body. So that's a very, very advanced physiology lesson and as dumbed down as I can is that that's why I need the heart rate. I need to know we're hitting the right zones with the right recovery to get the results you wanted. Now, if your goal was, I want to be able to hold a certain heart rate for a long period of time, this is a different conversation. That'd be a different right. protocol, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you touched upon fat loss here a little bit and you are the fat loss expert. There's no one I know that knows anything more about fat loss. I'm an expert too sometimes. <laughs> COVID will do that to you, right? So you coined the phrase, you've written articles on it, you've talked about it many times, a hierarchy of fat loss. So if you can give us a little bit of an idea what that all means, a hierarchy of fat loss, if somebody's really trying to lose fat, what, what they should be looking to do. So this is probably my most misinterpreted article of all time because a lot of people will, will quote it and forget what I was, was talking about. Because what I said in that is, is that we can lose fat with no exercise at all, right? We, we can just do it through nutrition. We don't need any exercise. And nutrition is so much, so much more powerful in terms of fat loss than exercise. I count it as the number one thing and the number two thing. <laughs> so by comparison, when we start talking about exercise, we're starting down the line. I'm assuming diet, right? So doing exercise and not addressing diet, it just doesn't make any sense. So with diet in place, there are certain activities that will work better for fat loss than others. It's not that these, these activities don't work. It's that there's, they're going to work better based on the diet already being in place. So with that said, I also filtered it through per unit of time. So if I'm on the Biggest Loser show, and I've got a bunch of people who have got their diet in place. And I've got 16 hours a day because they don't have to go to work. I've got 16 hours a day to do exercise. My plan will look a little different than if I've got a real person with a job, family, kids, so on, right? Mm -hmm. That person might give me three hours a week. Yeah. Now, they can, they can give me three hours a week. At that point, the only thing I do is what we call metabolic resistance training. Now, it is weight training, but tweaked slightly so that my goal is not just to build muscle and not just to get stronger. It's to actually create a fat loss, right? I've already got my diet in place. I'm putting in a stimulus, right? That, that's the phrase, a stimulus against stimulus response adaptation, a stimulus to tell the body to keep the muscle and preferentially use the fat stores, right? So if you think about my, my rules of fat loss are 
Number one, you've got to be in an energy deficit. You cannot over, if you overeat, your body stores that overeating by adding fat to the system. So we have to be eating less. The problem comes with people saying eating even less speeds this up. That's not how it works, right? But you do have to eat a little bit less. Then I have to eat enough protein to keep the muscle around, right? So I have to have what I call a positive nitrogen balance is a technical term for keeping your protein intake high. And then the third thing is I have to send a anabolic signal or stimulus to the body to keep the muscle. That's my stimulus response adaptation. So if I only have three hours, I would only do resistance training. If I have more time, I would do interval training after that. If I have more time, I would do hard aerobic training. If I had more time, I would add people going for a walk, right? Nothing wrong with going for a walk, but if you could only give me two hours of exercise a week, it wouldn't be my first thing. And that's the hierarchy. It's not that things don't work, it's that certain things work better and certain things work better in sequence. That without a diet, most of these exercise things don't do a whole lot. With a diet, it's magical. And it's kind of like you go into supplements. If I've got everything right, I've got your diet on point. I've got your training on point. I've got your interval work done. We're using heart rate monitors. I've got your recovery on. And I add a supplement. It looks like magic. But what people do is they add a supplement, don't diet, <laughs> and don't exercise. <laughs> and they go to exercise. And it, it doesn't work. It right. doesn't work like that. But it, it put in at the end, it's like, it's like building a house. I got my foundations. I've got my walls. Everything in the house is great. I put the roof then I put on these badass roof tiles right? and everything's complete, right? Uh, buying a supplement first is like putting the badass roof tiles in at the ground as your foundation. It just doesn't really work, right? Right. So, you know, there's a lot of con- controversy about supplements, but I don't know what the statistic is, but most people are taking some kind of supplements. If you had everything in place, what would you, what do you tell your clients to take for supplements for fat loss? So it's the phrase, first of all, is supplement right? Your diet should take care of a lot of things, right? It's not a replacement, it's a supplement. But with that said, I'm going to contradict myself on, on the first thing. There's a category called meal replacement powders. And I don't, I think that's a, a kind of dumb name, right? Because to me, it's a meal. It's not a replacement. So I eat yes. chicken, I eat beef, I eat eggs, and I also eat protein powder. It's just a meal in another form. So the first thing I add for people is, is this is an easy way to get a protein meal. Is that really a supplement? I don't know. Technically, it's a food, right? So that's the first thing thing I add. The second thing that I like to add is fish oil. Again, is that a supplement or is it food? If you're eating four, I think it's four servings of oily fish a week, you probably don't need fish oil. I don't know anybody who does that. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the United States. (laughs) If If you put into the medical database, if you put in Alzheimer's and fish oil, cancer and fish oil, fat loss. If you put in anything at all in fish oil, there's studies showing it's beneficial. Omega-3s are very beneficial. And I believe in Europe, they're actually pres- they're, they're available as a prescription. Like the doc- doctors can prescribe omega-3s yeah. to someone for, for lipid health. So my first two supplements are a protein and a fish oil. And then my next one is a, is a multivitamin. And my multivitamin, I just use the phrase as nutrients without calories. I'm asking you to eat a little bit less. I'm asking you to do a little bit more work, less calories and more output. Could there be a nutrient shortage? Possibly. So let's just put a multivitamin back in. 
That's a, yeah. again, like a, what would be the most expensive multivitamin in the world? A dollar a day? I don't even think so. Maybe $5 a day for, to cover all your nutritional bases with the greatest multivitamin in the world. And that doesn't even exist at $5. That'd be 150 a month. So I, I would add that. And that's my baseline, right? And then mm -hmm. I could start looking at, at different things, um, you know, like uh, magnesium can help with sleep. Uh, vitamin D3 is, uh, vitamin D3 is technically, it's, it's been classified more as a hormone than actually a, a vitamin. So there's some, some real strong evidence with that that we should be taking more, especially in northern climates where you, where you don't get a lot of sun or you don't get out a lot. There could be benefits there. But, but my big three would be a protein powder. I like a powder with no, no extra carbohydrates in it because then I can add fresh fruits and stuff to that shake. Uh, um, so I'll do that, a uh, fish oil and a multivitamin. Um, and I could make a case that you put the multivitamin in before the other two. But it's really just like a, a little nutrients without calories is the phrase I like to use. It's a way that to, to I, I'm asking you to eat less and burn more. Let's make sure that we're not going to get nutrient deficient uh, during that. You know, longevity is my thing. We're always talking about helping people live longer, but not just live longer, to be able to function better, to be able to enjoy those extra years. So I have my own little hierarchy of longevity, functional longevity. Yeah. And I, I actually put exercise at the top. And why that is, I think most people, and some of the research is being done right now, where it may not even be so much what we're eating, but how often we're eating and whether we're getting the, the response from doing some type of fasting and things like that, that the body's defense is against fasting. So I like to put exercise at the top of that because the responses that we get from exercise and what the body tries to do to protect itself and go through the processes of being able to live longer, I put exercise really at the top. Now you can might sneak nutrition in there because obviously we don't want to be eating, you know, deep fried Twinkies and things like that. And I think most people understand that who really are concerned with trying to live a little bit longer. But if you want to be able to function as we live longer, not just live longer, be able to function, I have exercise at the top of that. That I think you're, that, you're right with that. Is uh, and also I, I guess it's important for me to point out. We talked about the hierarchy of fat loss. If you ask for me the, for the hierarchy of muscle building. Or the hierarchy mm -hmm. of flexibility, my answer is different, right? It's yeah. really the topic. Like, uh, I, I don't talk about stretching in the hierarchy of fat loss. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean I don't believe in it, right? So right. Your, uh, your, your hierarchy is puts exercise number one. I would just probably define it. I, I would say that for for what we, like, I, I believe you're you're the, the leading authority on functional longevity. I, I don't know for people listening. I'm not interested in living to be 100 if from age of 80, I'm, you know, an invalid, right? I want to be able to do stuff, right? So functional longevity is, is uh, a much better better phrase. I, I like that, that you, you came up with that. So it's, uh, I would define the exercises. I think power and strength within that exercise are in my, in my hierarchy of the exercise component are more important than aerobic training, mm -hmm. right? Not, and I think we did a, a disservice is that we saw people die of, of heart disease and we thought our intentions were correct. Let's add cardiovascular exercise to improve that. And we think that the only way to do cardiovascular exercise is cycling or biking or walking. But I can get the cardio system. The only reason that the biking targets the heart and lungs is because the muscles need oxygen in the form of blood. So it pumps to them. But I can create that same response and get stronger. And it's I think risks of fall, 
Like, I think the muscle loss is a bigger factor. I think the loss of power, like you couldn't save yourself if you tripped. I've watched a, a, a client, we've been on for a long time. I've watched a client of ours who's in great shape and, and is older. I've watched him get older at a slower rate than everyone else. But it, it isn't his cardio that was going, it's his speed, his ability to save himself if he, if he fell. So I think with I think I agree with you. Exercise is, is taught, but not all exercise is created equal. Right. I, I think um, strength and power training would. Yeah. If I only had fifteen minutes twice a week, I don't think it would be walking. I'd give you. I think it would be some type of um, you know strength and and uh, power training. Yeah, you know, as we age, programming becomes so important. And yes, power and strength are both important for fall prevention mm -hmm. and for balance and all those types of things. There too is there's a little bit of, like there's some real good studies on longevity on grip strength. And it's, right. it's actually not about the grip. That's just an mm -hmm. easy measure of strength. If we chose a deadlift, we'd get the same, the same information, right? Um, but it's just a measure of, of strength. Like uh, I've seen one of the, it's push-ups. They're just measures of strength. But I think the ability to get off the floor if you fail is super important. So I think there's Sorry. some there's a, a key component of, of mobility. And I like to think of mobility as a, when you talk about flexibility is tissue extensibility, how much you can stretch. Mobility is how much you can move around a joint. I like to add with, with a strength range of motion, right? If I could do the splits, right? But I couldn't get out of the splits because I've got no strength, that's pointless, right? Yeah. So it, it's like a, if you're a martial artist and you want to kick high, you don't want to just kick high and be floppy. You want to kick high and hard, right? You want to have the strength with it. So I think that the, the strength, the fall prevention is massive. But let me fast forward to, it was a crazy fall and now you're down. Can you get up? Can, yeah. can, you, can you get up? Can you get up in the ice when the surface is slippy? Do you have the mobility to put yourself into positions where you're compromised and still display your strength? Yeah, that, that is definitely all part of it. And I, I don't, you know, people fear, people don't like to lift heavy weights because they're going to get injured because they're not doing it correctly. And people fear, sometimes they fear working hard, but a really well-designed program takes into account all that stuff. So I, I was just recently watching uh, some continuing ed, Brandon Marcello's program from Perform Better this summer. I flipped it on. And he was making the point that like with tendons, the tendon attaches the muscle to the bone, right? So if you do a lot of power work, that tendon has a tendency to get stiffer to be able to, you know, do that type of work. Yeah. yeah. But then the muscle, if you do a lot of strength training, the muscle is much more supple. So that tendon becomes a little bit more supple. So if you do, if you do way too much strength training, the tendon's not going to adapt correctly. You do too much power training, the tendon doesn't adapt. So it's so important to make sure that the program is designed correctly so that that tendon, you're less likely to injure yourself. Better uh, to perform, right? No, I think there's, I mean, when I was a younger coach, you're looking for the one true answer, right? Like the, and my clients hate this, my athletes hate it. But the answer is it depends, right? Can, yeah. Should you, like, so I just do power training? I'm like, no, <laughs> it depends. You might not need it. You may need more strength and you might need more mobility. But the answer is that there's going to be an adaptation to power training that we want. But if we don't have other adaptations for strength training, 
this can become an, a strength overuse can become a weakness, right? Like too much mobility with no strength is a problem. Too much strength with no mobility where you can't move is a problem. You've got power. It's going for this rapid, this tendon response, right? You, you don't have that and that tendon gets too stiff, right? You, which is why Achilles tendon injuries seem to, uh, seem to be a big jump at age 35, actually. It's quite young. But there's a big difference in Achilles tendon injuries at age 35 versus age 34 because it, it's a jump. And it's because of that, that lack of um, tendon extensibility. Right. So I think it's funny when people say, I don't want to train, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm, I just don't want to get hurt. I'm always like, oh, that's funny because up to now, all my clients have come in and said, I just want to get injured. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to get, get hurt. But in, in order for, I think I got this definition from, from Fred Hatfield, because uh, fitness is, is defined as your ability to meet all the demands of your life plus a little bit left over for emergencies, right? Like the ability to, as you're crossing the street and this, this out of control bus comes around the corner, can you get out of the street fast enough, right? You don't have to be running hard every day. You have to be able to occasionally. So I've got to, if your life is here, we've got to be buffered. We've got to have a little bit of, of overlap on the other side. I don't want you to fall. I don't want to practice diving down. The, like I don't want an NFL guy to practice getting hit in the back <laughs> right i don't want a, a quarterback to practice getting sacked but we have to be prepared for the resiliency to deal with that because it might happen i don't want you to fall i don't want you to hurt yourself but i'm gonna have to stress you so that should anything like that happen we're ready for it we're ready we're ready all, all our clients unless you have some kind of contraindication you have an injury everyone trains off the floor everyone gets up and down off the floor you yeah. have to do and, yeah. you know, we see people fall in love, but we go back to the recovery thing. And we were, you know, the, the idea that working hard and being out of breath is a great workout. So I see people like the tendency to just jump into our get lean classes. You know, they want to do metabolic, metabolic, metabolic. And I'm like, no, you need to get out of there a little bit and you need to do some strength training. But yeah. That's great. Robot capacity is great for your power, but you need to do some strength training because if not, you're, you're setting yourself up for injury. You're setting yourself for injury. And like I say, not being able to get off the ground. You've got two options, really, I think, with, with most things, is you either have to become an expert on this or you have to hire an expert. Right? Right. Just, I'm sorry. Like that's, uh, the, the answer for, like, and it's, it's frustrating when I'm teaching, is that a, what would be a good workout? Yeah. Well, it depends. What are your goals? Who are you? Right? Like, like exactly. are, are squats a good exercise? Yeah. Maybe not for you. Yeah, you may have some contraindications that we can't do it, but yeah, there is a, a um, I don't want to just do exercise. I want something to happen to me because of the exercise, right? Whether it's, maybe it's just a source of burning calories for me. Well, then the biggest, the thing that burns the most calories is strength training. Maybe it's yeah. to improve cardiovascular fitness. Well, then that, that wouldn't be my best, best choice if my, my hierarchy is over here. If I just need more mobility in the hips, then... Maybe, you know, short range deadlifts isn't the way to go, right? Like, guy, there's, there's different answers to everything. So uh, I, I think that the, the idea of functional longevity is we're, there's a bunch of things that we're going to address at all times. And we're going to specialize at, at things at, at a, a certain time too. We're going to revisit and reinforce certain things that perhaps you can't burn any more fat because you don't have enough muscle mass. We've got to put more right. engine in you. 
right? Mm-hmm. I've got a, an athlete uh, now, um, she, and we are using all the, the muscle she's got, right? So in order for it to get more out of her, we have to put on a little bit of muscle. I've got other athletes who you're not powerful enough for the engine you already have. We could tune it up with power training, with mobility work, right? So it, it's, I wish I could just tell your audience, here's the exact answer. Do this for this many reps at this weight, right? And, it's, and I, I think we were talking about heart rate training earlier. It also builds in when you're just flat, you'll see. You're like, like my body, like I can't hit those heart rates because my legs are shot. Right, yeah, like yeah. I need a rest day. Like I've seen it with athletes, and they can't do the cardiovascular work because their legs can't produce. They need an rest day. Like they're not out of shape. They just need a rest day. They need. They didn't recover enough. It's um, it's interesting. You spoke about uh, Josh Hankins. You spoke with Josh Hankins, and I watch your social media. Obviously, you're my mentor, or part of Results Fitness University, and there's always a lot of new toys coming out. Right. First, we, you know, we had the stability balls came out and then we had TRX come out and now we have the sandbag. Right. And people look at the sandbag and they don't understand it at all. They think, okay, well, I'm going to go from, you know, 15 pounds to 20 pounds. And why are we using this thing? It's such a hassle. It's so hard to hold and things like that. But it is, it is such a great tool in the toolbox. And you really, if you stand on top of the industry, and you really want to know what's going on. You want to be able to give you the best program that's out there. You need to be utilizing the sandbag. So give me an idea why the sandbag is so important. Because I know you utilize it a lot in your, so, your coach. First of all, I just want to point out that I don't want it to be good. I had a gym for 21 years. And dumbbell, like when these things come on, I don't want them to be better. Like I'll be honest, I'm not looking for the new thing. I'm looking for it not to work. And a lot of stuff comes, it doesn't work. But then yeah. something like that comes along that you would be a fool to ignore, right? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the, 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 the system of that type of training is not sandbag training. It's called dynamic variable resistance training, right? The, the sandbag is the tool, right? The sandbag is alive, right? If you think about it like that, like if, if I push a, a chest press machine, I can do 200 pounds. With that mm-hmm. same strength, because this machine is all balanced, I can do 200 pounds because there's no energy leaks. If I go to a barbell, I can bench a little bit less because there's energy leaks now. If I go to dumbbells, even more so, right? Because there's mm-hmm. energy leaks, but that's real life. We don't have a contest of how strong you can be sitting down with your back braced, locked in, and push a lever. That's not how life works. So the sap takes that to its logical conclusion. There's a great study came out, it's actually unpublished, but it's from the University of Wisconsin and they were looking at at sandbag training. And what these guys did, this is that when you you start to really embrace it, Chris, is they looked at a forward lunge holding, I think it was 40 pounds, and they had them hold 40 pound dumbbells in this position and they tracked metabolically what happened in the body. And then they used the same weight and position right? The same weight and position with the sandbag and the sandbag burned so many more calories, about 7% more, I believe, between seven and nine, which is a small amount per se, but you add this up over the course of a workout or six months, that can be quite significant. But here's the part, you're lifting the same weight. Now, Mm -hmm. could you lift more weight if I gave you a machine? Yeah, but we wouldn't do as much work. 
right? Which is why we said in the beginning, progressive overload is not just adding load, right? We mm -hmm. can change position. Like the position can be a thing. There's a, another study looking at activation of the shoulder muscle and they use mm -hmm. seated barbell, seated dumbbell, standing barbell and standing dumbbell. The one with the least amount of weight was the standing dumbbell. And that had the most activation of the muscle, which was our goal in the first place. We are not being judged on how, it's not power lifting or Olympic lifting where we're being judged on how much weight we can, we can move, where it's being, we want to activate the muscle tissue. So there was something where the position and the, the instability of the load helped us get our result. So the DBRT system, if you're not embracing that as a coach, or even as someone who's just come into the gym, um, this industry has moved too fast for you. We've outpaced you. It's a fantastic tool. And it's just, it, the part to get is adding more, there, there's different weights for these bags for different purposes. The answer is not always to go heavier, right? Like there's, there's certain tools that we use with, uh, with these, but basically if I move the bag to one side, I have moved it with my muscles but the bag continues to move through momentum and I have to resist that movement with other muscles. It's a very simple way to, to put it. It's the body is doing more work to move and control the, the tool. Right? It's just, it's a, like I said, is I, I don't make any money off the of sandbags, right? I don't, I don't want to buy them. I don't want them to kind of, it's, to, the, and my list of things over the years is kettlebells and uh, suspension chain, TRX and sandbags are three things that, I had to buy, I had to invest in for my, my clients because they were so powerful and so much better than what I had that I couldn't ignore it. I don't, yes. I didn't want to have to buy 25. I have got more sandbags than I have, don't you've been out. I think I may have more sandbags than I have dumbbells in my place. You have a lot of sandbags. Oh, sure. A lot of sandbags, yeah. Yeah, right. So, and I, I love the sandbag for the ability to engage the different fascias in the body, especially when we're doing squats or even like a, a core exercise where people don't consider a bridge a core, but the way this you can utilize that tool to really engage the rest of the body in the fascia is so, I mean, it's, it's the next thing down the road, right? I mean, it's here. Yeah. If you look doing at that, have you ever seen those body world exhibits where they use the cadavers and they strip the skin off them? If, if you've ever seen one of those, and if you haven't, just Google that right now and look up the pictures. If you look at that and think that you can train a muscle, that you can just target one piece of this and make this work at the absence of everything else, that, and I, we are so far apart in our understanding. Like, I don't think I can have a conversation with people is that your, your left little toe can, can affect your, you know, your right finger. If you look at a baseball pitch, that big toe on the opposite foot is part of the throat, right? right. Like what muscles are involved in, in pitching a baseball? Well, let's start with the big toe on the opposite foot because that's definitely involved, right? When you start looking at this, this body is a chain, right? And so the, the sandbag is a fantastic tool for teaching us to integrate that. That doesn't mean we... The, the answer is always integrate more and more. Sometimes we revisit this. Let's get back to basics and own this and clean up any little energy leaks we have. But that idea is that we can integrate more. And I'm with you is that people think the core means the abs and specifically the front of the abs, the rectus abdominis. To me, the core is everything that's not my arms and legs. This whole yeah. torso is my core, my lower back, my upper back. That's all core in, in my world.
and it's all designed to work together, like, which is I amazing. Can, I can you have to think my, about that when you're programming. My, my real world example is uh, mm -hmm. 2007, I had my appendix taken out and I got home the next day and you realize reaching for the TV remote control is core training. When you've got like your core has been cut, right? You're aware of that the core, that the core works. If you look at the body, if you look at a, a skeleton, there's this, the, the spine, there's a big section of the body where the only thing is this spine stacked on top of each other, right? And the, everything about core training is designed to support that spine, right? Mm -hmm. To support the spine while the extremities are moving. So if you, I think the science shows is if I reach with my hand, the core fires, uh, a non-faulty core, the core fires a few milliseconds before I even move. I'm sending my brain the, the signal to move my hand and my brain overrides that to stabilize the core first, right? So when you start understanding that, that that's how we program. Like we, we program the system. I program, I train the whole body, right? Like right. if I want to isolate a muscle, I can do that by taking things out. But the goal is always to get you strong and function, right? Functional longevity. Try to get up off the floor using one muscle. Try to pick up a pencil using one muscle. You can't one do muscle. Can't do it. done. Well, we're just about out of time today, Alan. I really appreciate you taking this time with us. A, a lot of information here. I hope everybody listens to the whole thing and takes some notes. And if anyone is to have any questions about what we talked about today, certainly leave it in the comments. I'd be more than happy to answer it for you. If I can't answer it, I have a, a direct line to Alan and he can give me the answer. But I, I think I have an idea what the answers might be. But go right ahead. Give me your ideas and your comments. I'd be more than happy to give people help with that um, if you do have it. And I appreciate you taking the time, Alan. I think I just want everybody listening, like we're like functional longevity. Just write that phrase down somewhere where you can see it, guys. That functional longevity. I don't want people just living longer and, and being, you know, not able to do anything. I want you to, to thrive, right? And the, the, if, if we had uh, a medicine that could keep you live longer and make your heart healthier and make your joint function better, and it, like, it, it would be the most prescribed medicine in the world, right? And we have that, and it's called fitness training, right? We have it already. Oh. And you just, all you have to do is swallow it for uh, an hour, three times a week. <laughs> times a week, a couple of times a week, that's all it takes. So people understand, you know, we go back to, you know, what they always go back to when they were kids and they were lifting weights, and oh, I got to get to the gym four days a week, five days a week, I got to go lift an hour a day. Honestly, you know, when you get past age 50, ideally you need to lift twice a week, maybe three times. We're not getting the adaptations we used to get when you're we younger. You know, make sure we're lifting twice a week. Make sure we're getting the correct protein you take. Make sure we're doing enough mobility work. Getting some cardiovascular work. That's really what you need. You got to get that out of your head, what we used to do when we were kids, because we're not kids anymore. You're, a, you're not kids anymore, but is there any field in the world, Chris, where 25 years ago we've made no advances? But we were wrong there. Exactly. <laughs> like you weren't, you're not a kid anymore. So you, even if we had no more knowledge, you shouldn't be doing that program. But that right. program was garbage, <laughs> right? I was a, like, I was doing that at, at you know, at, at my late teens, a stupid program that I was talking about with all the different angles and different sets and reps, right? That's the, like that program is terrible. <laughs> hey, I wasn't, so I wouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that uh, in my forties or fifties or sixties anyway. But I shouldn't have been doing that in my teens, right? Yeah, people think it's crazy when I say, if you're doing what you did last year, yeah. then you're not doing what you should be doing. 
You, I mean, you're allowed to do that if you don't have a cell phone. If you're that guy, if you still have a bit, you have a Betamax, uh, VH, no, I can't even see, but Betamax cassette player, right? And you don't have the internet and you don't have a cell phone, you can do the old school training. You can do that if you want. <laughs> but exactly. That's the, the idea is that we, not only should you not be doing that when you're younger, because you're a different person with different goals, but we understand at a quantum level more about training now than we, we did. We used to think sit-ups work for the abs. They don't. That's not how the, fu- the core functions, right? We not used to think that. We, and we, I used to teach that. This is in my career. We yeah. used to teach that, right? So it's people that you don't want to get back to what you were doing before because that was, that was, a, it was probably silly and you're a different person now and you deserve better. And, and some of the stuff we taught before, we thought about it, and then that's what we believed to be right at that time. But now we've changed. Now we know. No, I, understand. And I think that that's fair to say. Is I don't. I don't believe anybody purposefully did anything incorrect. Right. I think we're doing the best we knew how. We just know more now. I think there's a study uh, are saying that human knowledge on any subject is doubling about every eighteen months right now. Like we know twice as much as we did a year and a half ago on certain things. Right? Like um, you know, right now. I can tell you a year and a half ago, you'd never heard of COVID-19, right? Like you just like, like the, our, under, our, our base level of everybody in the world has a double their knowledge of understanding COVID-19 than they did one year ago, <laughs> right? Like even yeah, if you yeah, don't really. fully understand it. So I think it's, it holds true with most things that you're, I think the movie Wall Street with uh, Michael Douglas, he's got the cell phone on the beach. It's like the size of a truck. Like he's on this giant phone. Now, now everybody's got like, smartphones, right? You can go, can watch a movie on your phone, right? So yeah. technology is improving, but our, our knowledge of physiology has too. So yeah, you don't need to do, the old workouts you used to do are not even, you, not only do you not need to do them, you shouldn't have done them then. <laughs> All right, Alan. Well, thanks again for taking the time. We really appreciate it. I know how busy a man you are. And uh, for the rest of you, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of it. Again, if you have any questions or comments, put it down in the comments. And uh, you can look for more insight next Tuesday at 3.30 from us right down here at Yes Fitness, where we give you insight on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. Have a great night. Thanks.